be seated. Stand in and take your Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, you can find one underneath the chair you're sitting in or close to you. Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25, we'll begin at verse 1. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But But the wise took flask of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry. Here's the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I don't know you. Watch therefore if you know neither the day nor the hour. Verse 14. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them to his, his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He had received the five talents, went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Verse 19. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over over a little, I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Verse 22, And he also, who had the two talents, came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I've made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I'll set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward, saying, Master... I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested in my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. 
Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people from one, one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Verse 41. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? And he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away in eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this, this flock, this congregation, these people called First Baptist Church of Mount Carmel. Thank you for senior adults that will faithfully serve you, Lord, and that love you and are continuing to serve you even when their bodies ache or things are changing in their lives. Thank you, Lord, for young moms that got up and helped get the kids to, together for church this morning and dads and when they've had rough weeks and busy weeks and could very well have slept in. Thank you, Lord, for bringing them here. Thank you for young parents teaching their young children about Jesus. Lord, thank you for teenagers that are here this morning. Some have to be here because their parents are, they don't have much of a choice, but, but Lord, we've got a great group of young people that love your word and love you. And Thank you, Lord, that they're here. And in the midst of their struggles and what they're going through in this old wicked world, Lord, I pray that you'd help them this morning. Help young and old, Lord. It's a strange thing to hear the psalm that Nick read about singing praises to you for the judge of the earth is coming. How can we sing knowing that judgment's coming? Father, thank you for the gospel. Thank you for what happened at the cross. And I pray that as we've gathered this morning as a church family that these words, these sobering words, would the weightiness of them would fall upon us like they're supposed to. But it would lead us to give you praise and thanksgiving for those of us who've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. So Almighty God, please speak to us now. 
In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You can be seated. Well, some think that the coronavirus is going to be a pandemic, depending on who you talk to. And then as some of the men were talking at the men's conference we went to yesterday, some think it's far overblown when you think about all the people that's died from HN1 flus and all these other kind of flus that are out there. I don't even know the names of them. Well, who knows where it's going to lead to? We don't know. Uh, and some will panic and some will say we're just panicking too much. This I'll say to you about the coronavirus. I can say with absolute certainty. When you think about it, it is a judgment of God. The same can be said about the tornadoes that tore through Middle Tennessee this past week. That they are a judgment of God. The same can be said about the diagnosis that we get at the doctor's office. Not that we're being punished because of some individual sin that we've done but that we live upon a cursed earth and the things that we see going on in the world are a reminder of that so when we hear about coronaviruses or tornadoes it reminds us of the certainty of the judgment of God and in a mysterious and gracious way coronaviruses and deadly tornadoes are a gracious reminder to us that as awful as that is, as scary as the prospect of a pandemic may be, there is a far greater judgment coming upon this world than that. And so when we see those things happening, we should grieve and we should pray and certainly it would be natural to be concerned. But we should also be reminded that I need to be ready for something more than a tornado ripping through my home in the middle of the night or waking up sick wondering if it's the coronavirus. I need to be ready because Jesus may come and he may come in my lifetime. And I need to be ready because when he comes, it will be a day of judgment. Now in this passage of scripture we just read, there's two parables. But there's also one right before it in Matthew chapter 24. Some would say more than one. If you look at Matthew 24, beginning with verse 45, it says, Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give him his food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. So there's sort of a parable here as well, a story of two different kinds of servants, so to speak. And the one servant is seeking to be the faithful and wise servant, continuing to be faithful and wise as they wait for the master to come. But the other servant sees that there's a delay in his master coming and presumes there must be more time because there's been a delay already. And so he begins to beat his fellow servants and act as if he doesn't believe his master's coming. And he ends up being cast where the hypocrites are, where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, according to verse 51. And then there's a the parable of the ten virgins in the first 12 verses of chapter 25 that we just read. Ten who are waiting for the bridegroom to come. They have their lamps. The little lamps have oil inside of them burning. And they come with their lamps lit. But there's delay in the bridegroom coming. And all of them fall asleep. That's not really the point that they are sleeping. But they all go to sleep. 
And when they awaken and the bridegroom comes in the middle of the night, unexpectedly, they didn't know he was coming then, but he's there. Hey, the bridegroom has come. And five of them had brought extra oil in their lamps because they knew there could be a delay. They are prepared. They are ready. They've not been presumptuous. But the other five did not bring enough oil. And the bridegroom crumbs, and they're not ready. And as they go to get more oil, this is, remember, this is a parable. It's a story. We're not supposed to understand all the ins and outs of it. But as they go to get oil, and they come back, and the Lord, and they say, Lord, open to us. And he says, it's too late. The door's been shut. You weren't ready when I came. So he says again in verse 13, Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Then there's another parable in verse 14 and following a parable of the talents. A talent in that day would have been a large sum of money. We're not, certain, we're not sure, but it could have been up to millions of dollars depending on what study resource you look at. But a lot of money. And so the master in the parable is going on a trip and he gives... Five talents to one of the servants according to his ability. And another servant, he says, I'm, gonna, I'm, looking, at, I'm looking at you and your gift in this, and I'm going to give you two talents. And he looks at the other, another servant, and he says, I'm looking at you and your ability, so I'm going to give you one talent. Now I'm going to go. Now, now act, be, be a faithful and wise servant, like it says in Matthew, Matthew 24. And so one servant goes out with the five talents, and he, he uses the money wisely. Perhaps he starts a new business. Perhaps he, he uses it to, to uh, uh, go into business with someone else. And so it is with a man with two talents. And when they come back, the master comes after a long time, the Bible says. If you look at it in verse 19, after a long time, the master comes and there's a day of accounting. And the one with five talents says, look, master, I've gained you five more talents. And the one with two talents says, look, master, I've gained you two more talents. And the one with one talent says, master, I was afraid. But here's your one talent. I've not doubled it like they have, but here's your one. I didn't lose it. He says, get him out of my sight. He did not take what was entrusted to him. He did not take my assets and use them wisely. He was very presumptuous. Cast him into this place where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth, it says in verse 30. There's a couple truths in these verses, in those parables that, that stand out for us that, that reinforce the words of Jesus already from Matthew chapter 24 about the time when Jesus comes again. And one of those is that the day when Jesus comes is known only to God. We see that mentioned several times in Matthew chapter 24. We see it again in verse 13 of chapter 25. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. If you go back into verse 20, chapter 24, verse 39, it says, He comes and they were unaware until the flood came. Chapter 24, verse 36. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows. Verse 42 of chapter 24, Therefore stay awake, for you do not know. Verse 44 of chapter 24, Therefore you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect. So the Lord Jesus on the Mount of Olives, looking at his followers, looking at his disciples, certainly he wants them to be ready. God wants us to be ready. He wa we don't know the time when he's coming. He wants us to be ready. 
So this rings true throughout these parables. And another thing about those three parables that they have in common is that there's a, del there's a delay in the coming of the bridegroom. There's a delay in the coming of the master. There's a delay in the coming of Jesus. There's a delay in his coming because God is waiting patiently for people to repent, according to 2 Peter. There's a delay in his coming because God intends for more people to repent. So we see that in verse 48 of chapter 24, if you see it in your Bible. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed. You look again in verse 4, but the wise took flask of oil for their lamps. Verse 5, as the bridegroom was delayed. And in verse 19 of chapter 25, now after a long time. That's the period of time, First Baptist Church, that we live in. We live in this time of delay. We live where it seems like it's been a long time, even though to the Lord a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. We are not to look at the delay, the fact that it's been a long time since Jesus said he would come, and even the early church in that time said, he's coming soon. He's coming soon, all through the New Testament, and it's been almost 2,000 years later, and he's not here yet. We're not to think, well, it's been 2,000 years, so who knows when he's coming. Let's just not worry about it. Let's just not be concerned about being ready. No, a day of judgment is coming. And the main point of chapter 25, really the main point perhaps of chapter 24 and 25, but especially chapter 25 is this, is to be ready. Be ready for the return of Jesus, for it'll be a day of final judgment. There's judgments taking place in our world today because we live in a cursed world, but a far day, greater day of judgment is coming. Be ready for the return of Jesus, for it will be a day of final judgment. We don't know when he's coming. There's been a delay in his coming, but be ready. When he comes, it will be a day of final judgment. Now that's the emphasis of this text, whether you're a pre-trib, post-trib, the emphasis of this text right here is when he comes, there's going to be judgment. There's not going to be an opportunity to be saved when he comes. So why must we be ready? As we walk through this passage of Scripture, that's one question we want to answer, first of all, that the text addresses. Why must we be ready? So let's speak for a few moments about the weightiness of being ready. When I look at Matthew chapter 25 and even chapter 24, it seems to what God wants us to know right here 2,000 years later after Jesus said these words is this. God wants us to sense. He wanted the disciples to understand and sense and us as well the weightiness of being ready. The gravity of being ready for when Jesus comes. On the day Jesus comes, on the day Jesus returns, it'll be too late to repent. It'll be too late to repent. Look at chapter five, 25, verse 10, again in the parable of the ten virgins. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. See that? The door was shut. In verse 11, what's it say? Look at your Bible. Afterward, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. The door was shut. And the door would not open. The emphasis here is the day when he comes, it will be too late to repent. There's a delay right now. 
God's patience is waiting for people to repent. Now, now is the day of salvation. But when he comes, it will be too late to repent. We see it again in verse 30. Look at your Bible in verse 30. Cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There's no opportunity for that man with one talent to go and invest his talent. Invest the Lord's money. And do the Lord's work. It's too late. Look back at chapter 24, verse 51. For the man who was beaten up on his fellow servants and thought the master's delay would give him plenty of time. Verse 51 says, they will cut him in pieces. They'll take him and cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites in that place to be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There's no opportunity for the man now to try to make up for what he's done that's wrong. It's too late. Then look with me in verse 31 of chapter 25. That's where we'll spend the bulk of the rest of our time this morning, the remainder of our time. You have the parable, you might say, the sheep and the goats, this final day of judgment. And what we see happening here, we see also the same thing emphasized as we walk through these verses, is that it'll be too late to repent when Jesus comes. There'll be a gathering, verse 32, look at your Bible, this gathering. And when the Son of Man's coming, He's, he's coming in the glory just like it talks about in Matthew 24. He sits on this glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations, so there'll be a gathering. It says all the nations will be gathered. All the nations means all the nations, Gentiles and Jews. Just as Jesus says in the Great Commission, go and preach the gospel to all nations. That includes the Jewish people too. All nations, Gentiles and Jews, will be gathered before him. All of us will be gathered before him. There will be a day when Jesus comes and all of us will be in this Countless gathering of people. And there'll be a separation. Look at verse 32. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people from one another. As a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. There'll be a gathering and there'll be a separation. And after that separation, if we keep on looking, there'll be a pronouncement. And the emphasis here, folks, is there'll be a gathering, there'll be a separation because the verdict has already been handed down. On that day when that gathering day of judgment takes place, there'll be a separation. There'll be no opportunity to repent on that day. There's no second chances when the Lord Jesus comes again. I don't want to be offensive for those of you that are raised in a tradition that teaches purgatory. But I want to tell you something. Purgatory is an unbiblical, blasphemous myth. It undermines the atoning, once for all atoning work of the Lord Jesus Christ. The doctrine of purgatory says that there are other chances. The doctrine of purgatory teaches that one dies... And not judgment, but one goes into a refining type of purification because we have to be purified from our sins. Jesus forgives us of our sins on the cross, but we're not purified from our sins until we go into this place called purgatory where we pay off our sins. We pay off, we, puri we, we are purified by the works of saints, that not even the work of Christ. It is a blasphemous teaching 
is an ungodly teaching, an unbiblical teaching. That belittles the once for all work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in relation to the point that's being made here about there's no time to repent. There's no time to repent when Jesus comes and there's no time to repent after you die as well. Hebrews chapter 9 is very clear. It's for appointed for a man once to die and then the judgment. So on the day when Jesus comes or on the day you die for that matter, it'll be too late to repent. On the day when Jesus comes, there'll be a day of judgment. It'll make that clear. Some on that day will go away into eternal punishment. Into an eternity of uninterrupted punishment. Look at verse 41. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Verse 46, And these will go away into eternal punishment. So the weightiness of being ready reminds us it will be too late to repent and some on that day will go away into eternal punishment, uninterrupted punishment. A place prepared. Notice it says prepared. Who's it prepared for? The devil and his angels. It wasn't prepared for you. There's a lot of mystery wrapped up in the relation to God's sovereignty and human responsibility here, but the weightiness of the text emphasizes human responsibility. It was prepared for the devil and his angels. If you go to hell, it's your fault. If you go to hell, it's because you're a sinner. You've sinned against God. And that's our default destination. That's what we all deserve is eternal, uninterrupted punishment. Eternal fire, not a place of annihilation, but a place where there's eternal suffering, uninterrupted suffering. And on that day, all of humanity, all of our neighbors, all of our friends, all of us will be gathered on that day and some will be on the right who are sheep and some will be on the left who are goats, unbelievers. And some, the goats on the left, the unbelievers, will go into uninterrupted eternal punishment. And some will inherit an eternal kingdom of uninhibited joy. Amen? Some will inherit an eternal kingdom of uninhibited joy. We were at a men's, the men's conference yesterday and some of us went to a breakout session in relation to apologetics, defending the faith and trying to help us understand how to counter arguments about evolution. And of course the speaker spent a lot of time talking about how to simply point at God's design and creation and how God's made things. And one of the showed several different animals and so forth to remind us of the complexity of what God's made. He showed us a picture, for example, of a woodpecker you know, just a picture of that woodpecker beating its head on that tree and saying, man, what a headache he would have later. But he doesn't have a headache later because God's put these shock absorbers into his neck so that that doesn't happen. And he's giving him this tongue that once he drills that hole, that little tongue can go inside that hole and get the little bug that's in there. And there's certain waxes and chemicals on that tongue to make sure the bug doesn't get away. And then something evaporates the chemicals so he can actually ingest the bug. And it's just amazing. Or this giraffe that God's made... You know, if I put my head down very long, I'm going to pass out. But the giraffe has a sponge in the top of its head to soak up the blood so that when his head goes back up, he doesn't get dizzy. I was like, man, I need to get me one of them sponges. <laughs> then he began to talk about the complexity of the human body that God has prepared for us, that each of us have. 
the complexity of the human cell and the building of proteins and I don't know. I never did like biology and science that much growing up, but I can see how it is extremely helpful in appreciating so much the complexity, not only the universe, but the complexity of the body that God's prepared for us to lead us to worship the Creator who has saved us. And the reason I mention that is we think of this world, the creation that cries out to us, there's a God! And we look at our human body that God's given us that he's prepared that we can't even comprehend how tiny the cells and the things within the cells are and how much is within the, just one tiny little human cell. We can't, it's just unfathomable, right? It blows our minds. God's prepared our body that way. And yet, this earth and this body is cursed. Just imagine what it would be like without the curse. But look what God's prepared for us. Look what's coming in the future. Look at your Bible in verse 34, then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from before the foundation of the world. We think about how God's prepared this world that we currently live on, even though it's cursed, and the body that we currently have, even though it aches, and how wonderful and complex it is. Think about the kingdom that's been prepared for those on the right. Think about the kingdom prepared for us. A place of unending joy, as he says to the faithful servants in the parable that we read, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. A place where there's eternal life. Notice it says in verse 46, and these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. What's that mean, eternal life? It means eternal life. It means this joy entering into the joy of your master, this kingdom that we inherit that's been prepared before the foundation of the world. It means that it is a place of unending joy. As we talked about in Bible study Wednesday night, it's a place of uninhibited joy, uninhibited by our sin. I've thought sometimes about the times, fleeting times, but times of intimacy I've had with God. I mean, just times when spending time with God and there's that internal cry of the Spirit and I'm feeling so close to the Lord and I just, there's this cry from my heart and I say, I'm a father. You know, you just know that this word is real. These promises are true. And I am a child of God by faith through grace in the Lord Jesus. This is no doubt. Lord, I just, just want to be right here on this mountaintop forever. I don't want to go down. Right? In those moments, fleeting moments. So we say fleeting because even in those moments, there's times when I've had of intimacy like that with the Lord, and you probably have too. And I'm, I'm crying out, I'm a father, but I'm also crying out, I'm a father. Don't let me come down off the mountain. I know there's valleys. There's valleys of temptation down there. There's valleys of sin that I'm going to be tempted to do, and I'm going to sin again. And so even... Even at the height of joy and intimacy with God here in this world, it's tainted by... The thought, this ain't going to last long. I'm going to sin. Somebody's going to sin against me. I'm going to go through something difficult and I'm going to handle it right. But the joy that awaits us is uninhibited by past sins, the memory of them, or indwelling present sin because we will have been glorified. 
When we're with the Lord in glory, there'll be no thought. Oh, Lord, just let me stay here. You're, you're not going anywhere, right? Uninhibited, unending joy in the presence of the Master. What a stark contrast between the two. Uninterrupted punishment or uninhibited joy. We're faced this morning with the sobering reality of eternity. The believing co-worker will be on the right and your unbelieving co-worker will be on the left. The unbelieving wife will be on the right. There'll be a separation. The unbelieving husband will be told to go to the left. The old man that professed faith in the Lord Jesus when he was very young. But there was no fruit. Only a profession of faith. Only an outward external adherence to being a Christian or being religious. We'll be told, go to the left. But the thief on the cross who in his dying moments that we sung about this morning, oh, the dying thief rejoiced to see the fountain in his day. And there may I, though vile as he, wash all my sins away. Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. The dying thief, based on nothing that he did, but only faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord will say, go to the right, thief. Go to the right, because you're a sheep or a goat, not based on, not caused by what you do, but caused by what Christ does, by the work of His Spirit in your heart through faith in Jesus. The unbelieving daughter will be separated from the daddy who prayed for her and pleaded for her to repent and trust in Jesus. And she'll be told, go to the left while the daddy that pleaded and prayed for her soul all his life will be told to go to the right. Now, I don't, I'm not saying it on that day that those on the right are going to heaven are going to be looking at their loved ones over here and it's just going to be a, you know, heartache. I don't know that that's what's going to be like at all. But know that there will be a day of separation. Those on the right and those on the left. So the question comes, how can we be ready? How can we be ready? I got two questions for you to think about how to diagnose your soul this morning. Two questions. Are you ready? I hope if you sense the weightiness of the day of judgment that you're not falling asleep right now. That you've not tuned out. That you don't think that this is a topic that you don't need to be concerned about. There's coming a day when you're going to be on the right or you're going to be on the left. Are you ready? How can you know that you're ready? Are you ready for the answer? Two questions to diagnose the readiness of your soul. Number one, just looking at the passage of Scripture the question comes, are you faithfully serving Jesus and his brothers? Are you faithfully serving Jesus and his brothers? Now that principle comes right out of the parables that said, "Be who is the wise and faithful servant? 
Who's the man with the talents who faithfully invests my money, who faithfully uses what the master gives? The one who is ready is the one not merely giving lip service, but the one who is serving Jesus. But notice in this passage of Scripture, Jesus' emphasis is not only on serving him, but it's also on serving somebody else. Look with me in your Bible quickly. Notice what it says, verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For, now here's the reason, you're looking at it, you better be paying attention to this. If you want to know you're ready, pay attention to this. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then they come back and we'll visit this moment. Lord, when do we see this? When do we see you hungry? And what does he say? What's his response in verse 30 and verse 40? And the king will answer them. Look at verse 40. Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. So the question comes to mind that we really need to be seriously pay attention to how to answer this question right here. Because those who are ready are ready if they're faithfully serving Jesus and according to verse 40, and his brothers. Because the way you serve his brothers is the way you serve him. The way you treat him. Who are his brothers? A lot of people look at this passage of scripture and they think it's talking about all of humanity. Because we're all brothers. God's our father of all creation. And that is true and certainly we should treat all people with love and respect and care and, and not look down upon them and help them when they're in need. And we see that commanded to the church all through scripture. But when he says, "Who these my brothers, there's two other places in Matthew where Jesus refers to his brothers. One of them is in Matthew chapter 12, verse 48. He replied to the man who told him, it says, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Stretching out his hand toward the disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers, his followers. And he says it again in Matthew chapter 28, verse 10. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers. After he rose again, he told the women who came to the tomb, go and tell my brothers. Who's he talking about? His disciples, his followers. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. So yes, we should have compassion and care and treat all of humanity with respect and, and with care. And, and that's a calling of the church. But whether, whether one is a true fault of the Lord Jesus, an evidence of that is how they treat Jesus and how they treat his church. How they treat Jesus and how they treat his church. That's what this text is teaching us. Galatians again, Galatians chapter 6 verse 10 says, So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. Right? And especially to those who are the household of faith. So a question for us to consider this morning as an evidence of whether we are sheep on the right is how do we treat Jesus and his church? How are we showing care and compassion towards other believers? Especially those that we might consider the least of these. How can we do that with discernment so that we don't allow a brother in Christ who has perpetual need to take advantage of our goodwill, right? It's not always easy. Sometimes we have to say no to a brother in need. Understand? 
So we can make some qualifications there. But if our disposition towards brothers in Christ is that we, we love Jesus, but we don't love the church. We don't have any business with the church. We, we, don't, we don't want to come to church. We've been burned by the church too much. Uh, or I come to church, but there are certain people I get along with, but other people, uh, I could care less about them. I mean, if, if that's the disposition of the heart towards fellow believers, even believers we disagree with, then that's not evidence of someone who's, who loves Jesus. How can we say that we love God whom we have not seen and not love our brother whom we have, have seen? So there's issues of forgiveness here as well and things like that, but certainly the opportunity to serve our brothers. Now here's a question I need to address quickly. Try to quickly, all right? This sounds like what? It sounds like just reading this that us doing something causes us to be sheep on the right. It sounds like that. But what we have here is the evidence of whether or not we're sheep on the right. It does not cause us to be sheep on the right. And we can look at the passage of Scripture itself and to see that. One reason, I'll give you three reasons. Three reasons why this is evidence of salvation and not the cause of salvation. Number one, the surprise response of the sheep eliminates loving for reward. What, how do the sheep here respond in verse 37? Then the righteous, look at your Bible, will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you a drink? They're surprised. They're surprised not because they're on the right. They're surprised that being on the right is even and how they treated God's people, the church, Jesus' brothers, has anything to do with any of it. They were not treating the church, they were, not, they were not treating other brothers, Jesus' brothers in Christ, right to earn a place in heaven because they're surprised about it when Jesus says, hey, this is how you treat it. They, they subconsciously loved Jesus by loving his people. They didn't do it to earn a place in heaven. You see that. That's the surprise here. Secondly, it's the surprise of the goats. The surprise of the goats. The surprise of the unbelievers on the left. Look at verse 40, 42, 43 says the same thing. Then verse 44 says, Then they will also answer the Lord, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty? They're surprised too. The surprise response of the goats eliminates hypocritical love. Because you see, if the goats on the left had, had thought that if I just treat Jesus right, and if I just treat his disciples right, I can add that to my list, Donnie, and that'll get me into heaven. Whether I really love them or not, I'll just go through the motions. All right, disciples, I'll, I'll tolerate you. I'll put up with you. Jesus will we'll tolerate you because after all, I want to earn my way. I really don't love you. I really don't care about you. They would have, they would have, this hypocrisy that Jesus confronts all through, especially a chapter, you remember chapter, chapter 23 of Matthew where he says, woe unto you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Woe unto you scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Seven times he's confronting the hypocrisy of religious leaders. If they knew that treating Jesus and treating his disciples would be another thing to earn them a way to heaven, then they would have did it. But they didn't. And so they're surprised by it. They're surprised. But a third reason why this is the evidence of salvation and not the cause of salvation is that the atoning work of the cross eliminates the curse upon the sheep. 
the atoning work of the cross eliminates the curse upon the sheep, not upon the goats. Notice what it says in verse 41. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed. They're still cursed. They're under a curse. The cross eliminates the curse upon the sheep. Galatians tells us Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. Who's us? Christ redeemed us, church, from the curse of the law. By becoming a curse for us, for it's written, cursed is everyone who hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Faith. How are you not cursed any longer? Because of what Jesus did on the cross and you received that promise by faith. By faith. Reliance, trust, trust in the Lord Jesus. Otherwise, there will be no need for what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 20, verse 28. If, listen, if how we treat Jesus in the church causes us to be a sheep, then there will be no need for Jesus to say this in Matthew chapter 20, verse 28. Even as the Son of Man came and not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. If we cause ourselves to be a sheep that inherit the kingdom of God, inherit heaven, because we cause it by how we treat Jesus in the church, if that's the cause, our good works, why did Jesus come and give his life as a ransom for many? Why did he do that? Jesus' atoning work lifts the curse. And we receive the promised spirit through faith and the benefits of the cross through faith in the Lord Jesus. The evidence of having received that salvation that comes by faith in Jesus is the spirit that comes in and produces a love for Christ and his church. So that when you see a brother in need, we don't persecute the church. Remember Saul did that. He had no love for Jesus and his church. God got a hold of him. And what did Jesus say to him? Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? When you've done it to the least of my brothers, you've done it unto me. And Saul repented of his sin and placed his faith in Jesus. And he loved Jesus. And he loved his church. So the first question is, are you faithfully serving Jesus and his brothers? And here's the second question with a much shorter answer. Remember, you want to be ready? Then do a little examination here. Do I love Jesus and his church? Am I faithfully serving Jesus and his church? Having trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that leads us to the second question. What are you doing to have your sins forgiven? What are you doing to have your sins forgiven? That's the right answer. Nothing. There's nothing you can do to have your sins forgiven. The question really to ask is this. Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? The Bible tells us in the book of Revelation, 
Chapter 7, verse 14, I said to him, Sir, you know, and he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Just as we just explained. They're ready because they've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. They've trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. His blood has washed away their sins. What are you doing to have your sins forgiven? Are you trusting only in the Lord Jesus Christ for the cause of your salvation? And then again, the first question, the evidence of that, is it evidenced in how you follow Jesus, you love Jesus in His church? There's going to be evidence in it, but there's going to be fruit. If you live long enough, thief on the cross didn't live long enough to measure it, did he? But if he had, there would have been fruit and evidence to show that he had love for Jesus in the church. Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you fully trusting in His grace this hour? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? When the bridegroom comes, will your robes be white? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Will your soul be ready for the mansion's bride? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you washed? Are you washed? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you washed in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? You may be here this morning and think, well, Pastor, I've got all kinds of spots, wrinkles, blemishes, sin every day, and we're all right there with you. But positionally before God, right now, He looks at me and sees me and treats me as if I have no spot or wrinkle. And He promises that He will present me not just positionally, but actually in practice, in in perfection. I will be glorified on that day with no spot or wrinkle, therefore uninhibited joy in His presence. Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ? Let's pray together this morning. Father, I thank, you for, I thank you for this sobering word. I, f- I pray, Father, that your spirit would take your word that's been preached and, and make it clear that the hope of salvation is to only trust in what Jesus has done. And Father that we would examine ourselves to see whether or not we're in the faith. That we would be able to look at our lives and say, yes, I love Jesus, I'm seeking to follow him, I'm, I love his church. And, 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 and when I fail in that, I'm, I'm, my only hope is, is, is what Christ did on the cross. Father, I pray you grant that kind of understanding so that not one person here leaves this room not understanding the gospel, not thinking that anything they're doing is saving them, but they're only trusting in Jesus. God, please grant this. And Lord, grant us such joy in knowing that if we are sheep that and, and this day comes of judgment, for, for us and the joy that's coming, grant us such assurance and joy in that, that that we leave this place ready to share this with those 
who are about to perish into uninterrupted punishment. Do this work in our hearts. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and sing this closing song together this morning. You come. We can pray or I can talk with you. Just come. Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to This morning, and we're glad you chose to worship with us today. And, and uh, Tim, are you up here? Can you be up here, Tim? Ryan, somebody? Ryan, Tim's back here. Ryan, why don't you come up? That's all right, Tim. Uh, I'm going to get Ryan, if you would, close in prayer. Ryan, sorry to pull you, not give you a heads up. But I'm going to ask Ryan to close us in prayer. And, and uh, I'll be standing at the back doors. I'll have a chance to chat with you, talk with you. I hope that, uh, I hope that you're ready for the, the Lord Jesus to come. And I hope that, that you believe what I've preached this morning. Not just with your head, but with your heart. And if you need, we need to talk about that, please just say, Pastor, I need to talk. And we can talk now, we can set up a time later. Or, or talk to another Christian that you trust and, about these things. You do that. All right? Brother Ryan, would you close us in prayer? Let's bow our heads. Lord, we thank you for this good word that we've heard this morning that through the gospel, Lord, we are cleansed. It is nothing that we do on our own. We, we can't work it. We couldn't possibly get there. But by your grace alone, we are made righteous. Thank you, God. What a relieving, wonderful thing it is to know this. Lord, please help us to be 
filled with joy as we leave this place and go into our community. And Lord, please help us to be eager to share this good word with others that they would know that the only way to be saved is through Christ. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen.